0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of the History of Economic Thought podcast. I'm so glad to have you guys back. In the last episode, we covered Plato and the beginning frameworks of Greek economic thought and sort of the framework of communistic ideas to come. And I do want to reiterate at the beginning of this episode that Plato is, in fact, not a communist. That is not what I'm trying to say when I state that. But I'm trying to state that he's going to look society, and say that society should play the larger role than the individuals. And that's what I mean. Not that he's a communist. But today we're going to be looking at the guy who is mentored by Plato, just like Plato was mentored by Socrates. And that guy is one of my favorite economists of all time, so I'm going to try and hold back some of my bias. Um, It probably won't be entirely, but I will try. And that guy is Aristotle. And so I really cannot wait to get into this episode and I hope you enjoy Aristotle as much as I do. So with that being said, let's go ahead and let's get right into the episode. So you guys have probably heard about Aristotle, Uh, at least I would imagine so. He's one of the most popular philosophers out there, but he does have some interesting ideas to say about economics. But before we talk about the economics, let's give a little backstory about who Aristotle is. So Aristotle is this interesting character. He comes from the same group of Socratic thinkers that we had talked about in the previous episode. However, there's some important differences between him and the people that we talked about in the previous episode. And that's that he comes later. So he's actually trained up by Plato himself, just like Plato was trained up by Socrates. And this causes an interesting change in the shifting of how Aristotle thinks compared to his predecessors. His predecessors are very inspired by Socrates. In fact, even in their writing, when they're Saying arguments, they're writing it as if it's in the form of Socrates himself saying it. Aristotle, however, doesn't do this. If you read his works, he writes from a first person's perspective. He gives his arguments as they're his, not as if they're somebody else's. And this is an important note to make. And now we sort of see where he's going to attack some of his predecessors as their own individual selves. And this is interesting, especially if you read some of Plato's works, the way in which he writes, and he's critiqued quite often for this, is that he almost writes in this simplistic fashion where it's two characters talking to one another. Oftentimes this is Socrates talking to somebody else. And Socrates will say something and the other party will counteract with something else. And then Socrates always comes back with the right answer. And he gets critiqued often for this because it's almost like talking down to your audience, but also it seems so contrived. It's far too simplistic compared to a real debate or a real conversation, which is one thing that we know the Socratics were really big on. So Aristotle's really going to attack some of the major ideas. But before we get on to what he attacks I want to take some time to talk about what does Aristotle himself think and then later we're going to get into how he's going to attack some of the philosophers before him so like in the previous episode when we were talking about the philosophers before their whole thing that they prioritized or they focused on was happiness and Aristotle's the same he's going to drive that same point home that as individuals, we should prioritize happiness. Aristotle, however, has a very different way of thinking about how we should obtain this. And this is an interesting distinction to make early on in this podcast, is that it's completely possible for you and another individual to think we should maximize the same thing and yet still have completely differing ideas about how to obtain it. So let's discuss how Aristotle thinks that we should go about trying to obtain happiness and how that differs. Well, Aristotle's going to discuss economics in two of his books. At least there's two we're going to focus on. And that's politics and Nicomedian ethics. Now, the second one there, Nicomedian ethics, is Aristotle's book, To Someone Special in His Life. But in these books, he decides to talk about how a society should be structured. And there's something interesting about these books. He describes exactly how to think about these problems, which I think is valuable no matter who you are. So how does he say we should break down this major problem? Well, he says that first, if you want a clear view of something, you have to first look at its origins, and then it'll all be clear. You'll also want to break down complex concepts into their smallest versions. So... How does Aristotle look at economics? How does he break it down? Well, he's gonna break this down by sort of working backwards. So he says that a state, or country as we might call it, is really just a collection of villages. And a collection of villages is just a collection of towns, and a collection of towns is just a collection of homes, and a collection of homes is just a family. And so really the family is the building block of this larger organization. So if we want to understand how exactly we should view economics is really just a collaboration of different families working together to achieve one goal. And of course to Aristotle, this major goal is happiness. Now, Now if this is the case, and economics is just a collection of families, well, then economics should really be built around household management. You know, that thing that Xenophon was talking about in the first place. So Aristotle really just, he proves Xenophon correct in where we should be looking at economics first by sort of showing the steps. So in order to do this, when he starts talking about household management, he's got some really interesting ideas. So, he's going to sort of agree with Xenophon on a couple things. Number one, he's going to state that too much stuff, in fact, does cause a problem in your life. This is because, although we as humans need different things to survive, a plethora of stuff is really just not needed, especially for virtuousness. Which, virtuousness is what Aristotle is going to say actually leads to happiness. The desire for goods also has no bounds. It's limitless. You'll always be wanting for something else. There will always be more to collect, and for hap- and for Aristotle, happiness is the ultimate purpose of life, and a virtuous way is and a virtuous life is the way to obtain that. Therefore, an excess of goods can lead you away from your ultimate purpose of life. All right, so Aristotle's talking about this thing called moral virtuousness. So, the first idea that we might get from hearing this is that well. That sounds a lot like what Plato was saying, right? Like Plato's over here talking about morality. Virtuousness isn't that morality as well? Not exactly. Uh, Aristotle has a really interesting way of describing this. And this concept's really beautiful. And again, this podcast is not a philosophical podcast, but we do need to understand this in order to really get what he's gonna be trying to say in economics. Especially because a lot of these ideas that he's about to state are going to inspire economists Thousands of years on down the line. So, what is moral virtuousness? Well, according to Aristotle, it's the golden mean between too little and too much. Which sounds, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. So, let's put this in an example. Well, let's say you're walking down the street one day, and suddenly you see a house is on fire. You run to go check on the house, and you see that there's someone inside. Well, you can't see them, but maybe you can hear them. Now, the house looks structurally unstable. Should you run in? Well, first we need to break this down. So how does Aristotle say we should answer this question? Well, again, like we said earlier, always break down the problem. And he's gonna try and reason this, Well, you may say that the thing we're testing here is courage. You know, the courageous person would run in, right? They'd go head first. They wouldn't even think about it because that's the courageous thing to do. To Aristotle, though, this is too much. If you don't reason here, then you risk losing not only their life, but yours as well. So therefore, running in is actually the stupid thing to do. Instead, the golden mean would be to recognize that maybe we can't save this person and that risking our lives isn't worth it. And this can be a hard truth. In fact, a lot of what Aristotle's talking about with moral virtuosity is really the hard truth about life. That we try to break it down in such simplistic means by giving off these character traits like courage and strength And even compassion. Now, compassion is one thing that almost everybody has drilled into them early on in their lives. You'll hear things like sharing is caring. You know, you should always give to someone else. But Aristotle says that maybe you shouldn't. Maybe sometimes compassion is the wrong thing. Now, he's not saying that compassion itself is wrong. Because again, this would be too little. But let's say, you know, you're a parent, you've got a child, and you see somebody else in need, but you only got maybe $20 to your name, and you need to buy groceries for your kids. Well, you have a duty to your kids to provide for them. Therefore, by giving the money you have to somebody else, even though they may be in need as well, by giving up on your own duties and responsibilities in life, your compassion not only hurts you, but it hurts your children who depend on you. So therefore, compassion isn't always the right answer. Sometimes there's a compassion in just doing what you're responsible for and doing it right. Now, you may be making the argument that these ideas are too simple. You know... You're not really using any reasoning here. And yeah, that's true. And in real life, there's a lot more reasoning involved. And reasoning is again how Aristotle thinks we should come about, you know, answering these questions. But, you know, how do we reason correctly? You know, we even discussed earlier about how Aristotle and Plato wanted the same thing, which is happiness. Yet, the way they think about it is completely different. So how as we should individuals, you know, how should we reason? How should we figure out what that golden mean is in a situation? Well, Aristotle has an idea for this and it's what he calls moral exemplars. And these are individuals who, he states that we as individuals, should be able to almost immediately recognize as moral exemplars, you know, they show us what that right amount is. And I think this is sort of true. You know, I think everybody out there has somebody that they look up to. Maybe a parent. Sometimes it's maybe even a celebrity. Maybe it's a historical figure. And you know, when we look at these characters, we really enjoy a certain aspect of their life. You know, there's something about them that sort of separates them from other individuals. And we even try to model them sometimes. And this is exactly what Aristotle states we should do, is to sort of model these moral exemplars to find that golden mean. He also states that although you can learn a lot through books, you can't really learn, you know, this golden mean through books. It's something that you just have to live. It's something that you have to experience. So now that we've got this down, and we sort of understand what moral virtuosity is, let's go back to the economics. You know, let's go back to household management. How should we, now knowing how we should live our lives, how should we, you know, spend our money? How should we manage our household and our family? So here's what Aristotle has to say. Well, again, with Aristotle, we're always going to break it down to its different parts. So first part we're going to start on is we're going to start on money. Aristotle's actually going to attack money. And let's take a second to remember that money at this time is gold coins or silver coins. It's not like dollar bills as we know of them today. You know, it's not no paper money. He's going to attack these ideas. And he's going to attack them because he's going to state that they don't actually have any value. And that they could simply be replaced with any other commodity. Now you, if you've been watching the podcast, uh, you know that idea sounds quite familiar, right? John Law sort of states the same thing. And so he points out that it's entirely possible to be wealthy and to still starve. And this is an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Like, If you're the wealthiest person alive, but you're stranded in the desert, does being wealthy help you? Not really. And so, Aristotle's sort of attacking this idea that yeah, sure, you can be wealthy, but it doesn't really mean anything. It's all in our heads. So, from there, Well, what does he have to say about wealth itself? Well, he does realize that leisure is necessary for moral development and for good citizenship, and that this can't be enjoyed without a basis of sufficient wealth. You know, a fair competency is therefore desirable for the best life. For men who should live not only temporarily, but liberally, poverty produces civil strife and crime. Wealth in the absolute sense is always good, though it may not always be fitted to a certain individual or be property used by him. Everyone should choose what is good for himself and use it accordingly. Now, all of this sounds saner than the subjective notion of wealth taught by Plato. But right here is the secret of the difficulty as Aristotle sees it. Just because all external wealth is good in the absolute sense, the popular error has arisen that in the final cause of all happiness, whereas the actual relation of wealth to happiness is the same as that of a liar to the tune. Although Aristotle's saying that wealth is an absolute good, let's take a second to look back at what he said about moral virtuosity. You know, there's too little and then there's too much. And he's sort of stating this again with this idea. You know, sure, it's good, but is it the cause of happiness? And remember, that's our aim here. We're aiming for happiness. But wealth, as we just saw through our conundrum a second ago, can't be what causes happiness. Therefore, the pursuit of wealth above all other things, well, it's too much. It doesn't actually lead you to what you want. Well, so... How do we get wealth? Well, in order to get wealth, we've got to make a profit. So what does he have to say about profit? Well, he's actually going to make an argument against profit because he says it's unnatural. And this idea is important because this point and the next one he's about to make are what's going to inspire the next couple of economists we're going to talk about after Aristotle. So the reason he's going to say it's unnatural is that a good was not created for the purpose of being traded, but for being used. Now, this isn't to say that trade is bad. In fact, Aristotle encourages trade, but within a very important caveat. In politics, he states, They exchange with each other the necessities of life and nothing more. This sort of barter is not part of the art of wealth getting, or what we should call profit, and is not contrary to nature but it is needed for the satisfaction of man's natural wants. So it's safe to say Aristotle's sort of a minimalist. (laughs) Uh, This idea he's challenging is that, you know, we shouldn't commercialize our society. He points out that when money is the goal, it worsens life instead of making it better. So Aristotle's essentially saying that things that should be traded are the necessities of life. They're the essentials. Whereas other things are meant to be used and not to be traded. So now that we've got this, well, let's talk about another kind of profit. And this is profit that many people today might just see as profit as well and not as its own separate idea. But early on in economic thought, it's considered separate from the idea of profit. And it's an idea that's called usri. Now, usury, as we know it today, is really just debt. It's interest. So, so, usury is wrong, again, because he sees it as not being natural. You know, when goods are traded, they're traded for another good, which is natural. But, usury doesn't do this. You know, when you give somebody a loan, for instance, you're not getting anything in return for it. You're just giving them something with the promise of you know, being paid back later. And he sees this as not being natural because when you use money to a good, you can use the good to produce something. When you receive usury or a loan, you don't need to produce anything but must pay interest back to the loaner. So although you can be given a loan, well, you don't actually have to do anything with that money you're given. Therefore, to him, it can't be seen as natural. And so he's going to sort of shoot down this idea of usury, and it's going to play a big part in some of the talks later on in the history of economic thought. But I think this episode's gotten long enough for today, and so I do want to do another episode after this one covering the debate between Aristotle and Plato And we're really going to dig deep into some of the other ideas that Aristotle has and how he's going to attack Plato's ideas at the same time. And hopefully we can also learn a little more about Plato's ideas and some of the things that he was talking about and how he'll sort of rebuttal these in a book that he's going to make called Laws toward the ends of his life. So before I let you go, though, I do want to recap that Aristotle's views on economics are ultimately the result Of the ideas that come before him. He brought these ideas together to create a real view of economics that not only looked at the state, but of the people as well. And his views would later go on to be the foundation on which titans of economics would later go on to say that that's where they began their journey. So I'm glad that he's also going to begin our journey as well if even the titans of economics thought he was a good starting point. There is a quote from him, though, I want to leave you guys with before we leave. And that's a simple one. And that's that man is condemned to philosophize. I'll see y'all on the next episode.